Welcome to Discography. Hell's a poppin'! The music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I was dozing off there for a second, but um, I, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got woken back to life. That was the verbal equivalent of electroshock therapy. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to spill a little bit out for my ep homies in a certain sense, because uh, this is, <clears throat> we care so much about this podcast that Joe and I are doing this for a second time tonight. This was one of the first ones we cut, and um, we've gotten kind of better at it since we've started doing it. You're being very democratic. I fucked it up. Um, okay, well, that's, uh, yeah, well, that's yeah. another way of saying that. I was being... Um, I was amazing. I'm, in were, fact, I'm going to just edit out, I'm gonna edit out all my comments from that and just paste it here and then just go... Yeah. And then I'm gonna go place you should it do with, a box set of disembodied comments. I'm just going to paste show. in every all the genius things that I said, <laughs> and I'm going to sit in the corner and play Zelda right now while you do this. Just paste out my stuff, that's all. <laughs> anyway, um, it's kind of like when you see those early episodes of The Simpsons, you know, and they're kind of like drawn Bart's, all like... Bart's looking all fucked up. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, but someday, but the, worse. Someday on the discography rarities box set, we'll re-release those. That's right. It's like the rooftop concert. It's like the holy grail of. Uh, we'll only d- be doing deluxe physical editions. Discography ephemera, um, lost classic. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Back to business. So first things first. You guys need to know just how seriously we take this shit. Discography is heavily researched, and all these releases are listened to with fresh ears. And they're not just albums. No, that's for chumps. We do a searingly honest deep sea dive of everything. EPs, singles, comp tracks. Uh, If it's a live album that somehow pertains to the history, we'll do that too. And then every release is slapped with an objectively accurate five-star rating from zero to five. Which allows us to come face-to-face with the beautiful, true shape of an artist's overall arc. In today's episode of Discography, we will be turning the spray cans on Badfinger. Which makes me very sad because the last thing they deserve after what they've been through is uh, spray canning. Can I just say, for the record, I'm bad finger. <laughs> it's the stink. He's the man, the man with the bad in touch. Wait, wasn't it initially stink finger? I think that's apocryphal. I don't, I don't think, think it was. I don't think it was ever stink finger. I think you're saying it's apocryphal because it's a conversational uh, diversion you just don't want to have. Uh, I'm I'm perfectly happy to have that conversation. Okay. I did not come across that in any of my research. Okay, okay. Uh, most of my research centered around that. How different would it have been? They, maybe they would have, if they were stink finger instead of bad finger. None of, <laughs> none of the horrible things would have happened to them. Or maybe all of the horrible things would have just happened quicker. So I, I've always I've always liked the hits with these guys, but honestly, never had any idea about the tragic depth of their story. Uh, until uh, the very first mojo I ever picked up, which was in, I believe, December of 98. Rundgren uh, was a big feature in this it. This is Mojo the Magazine. Mojo not, the not, Magazine. Not Mojo the um, it, like ephemeral quality. <laughs> no. It's not no, the first time you came no. across Mojo itself. No. This is the no. magazine you're referring I'm to. I'm not talking about Chi, the life force. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I read about Badfinger could not believe. I didn't realize that the two guys who had written without you uh, had wound up uh, hanging themselves. It's horrible. Right. I kind of um, knew about Badfinger from being a fanatic Beatles fan when I was a kid. Right. So I right. read like every like Beatles book you could get at the time, and um, you know they had that association. Um, you know McCartney writing "Come and Get It," them being on Apple Records. Um, so I knew about them. Uh, that was kind of my first introduction to them. And I knew all the hits kind of like everybody else. There's like four or five kind of big major hits. And they're kind of masters of melody, just like the Beatles. Um, and plus, if you layer on top of that a whiff of tragedy, uh, I generally am all over that kind of shit. But these guys have the chops to back it up. Yeah, you kind of can't separate their story from some of the records that they made. Um, right. So, I mean, obviously we'll get into it. It's one of the saddest tales in rock history. I would probably put it 
side by side with Moby Grape for the two saddest tales in music history. Would mm-hmm. you say that's a, yeah, a it's fair that, it's, assessment? It's, it's that kind of thing for sure, yeah. So let, let's delve in and see what in the flying fuck went wrong. Phase one, Twee AF. <laughs> and for you old timers, that's Twee as fuck. 1967 to 1970. So uh, Badfinger, uh, initially a band called the Ivies. They're a Welsh band formed in 1961. Tom Evans joins in 1967. And uh, they are the first band signed to Apple Records, the Beatles uh, label, in 1968. They're renamed Badfinger after the working title of With a Little Help from My Friends, which is Badfinger Boogie. Right. Notably not Stinkfinger Boogie. Not, not st- but I'm telling you, <laughs> it works its way into the story somehow. I'm telling you. All right, so Mal Evans, who's, by the way, whose fingerprints are all over this band, uh, and in the most unsavory of ways. So um, in I ge- guess Mal kind of found them in the first place. Mal found them and fairly did produce them, um, but... Uh, Mal and Peter Asher, who is Apple A and R, uh, and also Peter and of Peter and Gordon fame, saw Badfinger live at the Marquee, and and in July of '68 they were signed. Uh, initially, Tony Visconti and Tom Evans both produced, and they were off. These were a gang of nice guys who didn't want to step on each other's toes. And at this time, they're kind of, uh, they're still kind of developing their sound. They're kind of more in that sort of left bank, twee pop kind of vaguely. without Without any tension. So this right. is like real, like dandy fop kind of stuff, uh, velvet collar kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, that without much complexity in the songwriting. Well, they had a couple of jams. Yeah, definitely some good stuff. Um, but But it's very nice and polite. Right. Um, so, which sets up this kind of thing right at the outset. So, their band was a classic democracy, although clearly Pete Ham was the blazingest talent in the band by a mile. So right. this is this is the central tension of this band. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's their uh, they tend to share songwriting duties on records. Almost, some, almost down the middle. Yeah, sometimes some of them get more songs on certain records, but the ratio of how good the records are is almost, you can chart it, you can plot it on a chart with <laughs> how right. many Pete Ham songs are on the record. That's right. There's a direct proportional relationship. You know, some of the other guys have good tunes. Most of my favorites are, um, are, are Pete Ham's songs. But the other guys tend to have great songs, but they're more journeyman, workman-like uh, crafts, craftsmen. Yeah, Pete Ham has a, has Pete a, Ham has a fairy dust kind of magic. And he's the strongest singer, in my yeah, opinion, yeah. of the four. Yeah. He he's tends got to something s- to say. He knows how to convey uh, some really profound, deep emotional truths. Uh, the yeah, other guys he's, don't he's really a, have that he, he, he has good style as a singer, and um, and it really puts the songs across well. So yeah, um, like so, like you're saying, it's a democracy, even though it probably shouldn't have really been a democracy. Which is crazy, as we'll see album by album, why that was a stupid idea. So in 1969, well, the, the problem is they let like the third best songwriter who's a, far below the other two write an equal amount of songs right. some of the time. So right. Just for the sake of democracy, maybe because of the times. Yeah. Not quite sure. But in 1969, uh, their first release as the Ivies, uh, which is called Maybe Tomorrow. I, would, I do want to say that Maybe Tomorrow is kind of a, a, of historical interest only because most of the best material was carried forward into their next record, Magic Christian Music. Yeah, most of them were. So most of the best songs in this were redone for the next record. And kind of done more beefed up and sounding right. kind of more full. These are kind of more proto versions of them. The title track is the one I kind of maybe prefer the Ivy's version. Maybe. Hmm. It's kind of a little more AM radio-ish and a little bit like less. I, th- I think the only real worthwhile non-Magic Christian music song is Mrs. Jones, which is actually an outtake from this. So, um, you know, this is a weird record. It wasn't released in the U.S. or in England uh, because Alan Klein um, withheld it. Um, so right out of the gate, their problems had started. They were already in kind of a messy legal tangle because of what was happening in, um, in Apple. So by dint of that, uh, they were swirled into that maelstrom and they got, they got F. Right. So magic, the magic Christian is the movie that, um, you know, in the recent, uh, Beatles get back documentary, 
that is the Beatles are basically using the time at Twickenham that was left over. So they, the app that the Magic Christian was an Apple project. So that 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 was the next thing that came in. Um, so that's the movie that they were doing the uh, songs for. Right. That's why Peter, right. that's why Peter Sellers is hanging out at, at uh, Twickenham Studios. Exactly. Exactly. So in December '69, they changed their name to Badfinger officially for after a brief stink finger. <laughs> right. That's incredibly well documented <laughs> uh, for the Come and Get It single release. So uh, they also ditched. Uh, Ron Griffiths and brought in Joey Molland, who was once in a band called the Fruit Eating Bears, and now they were ready. Uh, I give maybe tomorrow two and a half stars. Uh, truly, an unnecessary thing to own, um, unless it fucks Alan Klein in some way, shape, or form. I gave it two. <clears throat> okay, yeah, we're on the same page with that. Kind okay. of uh, like you said, you kind of don't really need it because they did most of the songs better on the next. The, thing. All most of the most best of the songs. good songs. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, in 1970, we have Magic Christian Music, and uh, this is the, ostensibly the soundtrack. McCartney had uh, had them basically copy his demo of Come and Get It note for note. Pretty much promised a, a number one. That is what happened with the song. It's a, pretty much a perfect little song. And if you hear his demo, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it suits them well, and it's, it has that really, you know, McCartney stir. It's almost like kind of like an early uh, solo, like Another Day, or like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of those early, uh, those yeah, first couple yeah. of McCartney singles, you can hear it fitting in real well with that. So uh, Apple basically took uh, the film's three Badfinger songs, uh, took uh, four songs that were unreleased, and seven older tracks. Uh, from when they were still known as the Ivies from Maybe Tomorrow and made this better album, which was remixed and uh, definitely the better investment if you were to ne- to veer off of our playlist, which is not advised. Yeah, it, this one is a much like kind of punchier and more <clears throat> rock rock band kind of sound. Um, there's 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 some real gems on this. Um, you know, Mal Evans gets a production credit on this record, which is always weird to me. Mal was not really a musician. He's kind of like... A, he was a he was lovable lunkhead. Uh, yeah, right. He was an inner circle guy in the Beatles circle. He was kind of like their roadie slash gopher. You can see him kind of in like uh, in the Get Back movie. They're like George tells him to go like, can you, can you think you can find me like one of those bolo ties? <laughs> yeah, he's basically a pro- he's a professional congenial presence. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that he's that gets production credit on these. The record sounds but apparently fine. apparently that is what he did. I mean, that, by all accounts, I actually, uh, you know, I looked it up along with the uh, Stinkfinger stuff. So this is, this is uh, I would say, you know, you have some McCartney involvement beyond Come and Get It, Rock of All Ages and Carry On Till Tomorrow were produced by McCartney. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a few, uh, you know, absolute classics. Crimson Ship is excellent, Fisherman. Uh, Angelique, Walk Out in the Rain is an early Pete Ham masterpiece. Uh, this is definitely a lighter side of Badfinger, but, uh, but but pretty strong. I give it three and a half stars. I gave this three. Um, Dear Angie, that's another one. That's a that's kind of one of their more that's popular. That's a great song. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to see which of these are their more uh, their most popular, <clears throat> most streamed songs on um, Spotify. Dear Angie is kind of in the near the top. I will say that, um, you know, we start getting introduced to an element that recurs through their career and is not really dealt with successfully until toward the end of their life as a band. They cannot rock convincingly. Yeah, there's kind of there's sort of two sorts of songs they do. They have like kind of singer songwriter pretty songs, which are amazing. Yeah, which that's you know that's mostly what we're going to be pointing you towards. And the rock songs are so dreadful that you just kind of have to accept that okay, they're going to be cluttering the album just like every dead bootleg has Chuck Berry shit on it. So you got to endure that. Yeah, there's kind of like a lot of sort of things in the kind of boogie kind of feel, you know, like, right, uh, right. And they're all of, dismissible. There's not one. Exception. It's kind of some that sort of have like a sort of like like bad company kind of right, stylings, right. like blues rock. Um, it's, so those are always um, it, it's you know the fewer of those you get on a record, the better the record's going to tend to be. But there's right, sp- right. they're sprinkled in there pretty consistently, unfortunately. So you gave this one three. I gave this one three. Um, you know, uh, notably Tony Visconti produced most of the ones on this that are my 
favorites. Like uh, mm-hmm. he did Crimson Ship and Dear Angie. Uh, McCartney did the product got the production credit on Come and Get It. Um, this is a pretty solid album. I I would you know I would say I would rank it um, you know higher like my my kind of standard go to rating for like a, a generic genre album is like two stars. If you make a mm-hmm. competent album, this seems a little bit better than competent. It is. It seems it a little is. bit more inspired. <clears throat> the yeah. Ivy's one is more competent. Yeah, that's more this like is... a two kind of. But this right. is like a, this has some good. It's not wall to wall strong material, but definitely right. um, stuff to pick out. And so a, and a I, step forward for them. I um, do. I do want to talk about some context because around this time things kind of shifted for them. Some seeds were planted that uh, that sprouted complete and utter dog shit. Well, the first thing though is that yeah. "Come and Get It" is a huge hit. Huge hit, right? So they are kind of you know they must be thinking, hey, we got this. We're on Apple we got Records. Yeah, we got a giant. We hit. just recorded this McCartney song. It went to what, what like number one or something. It yeah, was a we're big hit for them. The, hanging out with the Beatles. We have a contract with Apple. So around this time. Uh, Actually, in November 1970, uh, there was a businessman in New York named Stan Polly who signed Badfinger to a management contract. So he's a businessman the same way that like John Gotti is a businessman. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So <laughs> maybe not that extreme, but um, he formed a company called Badfinger Enterprises Inc., which sounds pretty much on the level. This is the <laughs> least on the level company with the most normal name. So this bound the band to all kinds of agreements that took their profits and shoved them into holding companies that Polly controlled exclusively. So the band were on a salary. No matter how high they were riding, no matter um, you know how many number ones they had, they were on a salary, which wound up uh, causing, obviously, tremendous tension um, and, um, it frankly, just killed the band eventually. Right, so there's kind of a few different dimensions to the the Stan Polly sa- saga. Um, not only did they have that situation where all the uh, you know all their royalties and earnings were going into the escrow fund that they couldn't ever get a hold of, but then he negotiated this these, this crazy record deal with them. That comes a little bit later on in the story. Um, you know, Stan Polly. You know, we could kind of talk about him a little bit. The next year, in 1971. Um, after he had already started managing them, he was named um, in a as a like an intermediary in an investigation. Um, it was like some scheme between corrupt judges and like like what, what I what are called unnamed crime figures, which I'm assu- I'm assuming are kind of like mafiosa kind of guys. Mm-hmm. So he's in with this scheme to like bribe judges, and he's kind of a go between with those guys and. Um, you know, there, there, you've, you see all kinds of shadowy figures that lurk around uh, the rock cognoscenti, the, you the know, music like, business, like was Matthew kinda, Cates with yeah. uh, with Moby Grape. Uh, people looking to destroy people's lives, basically. Yeah, using the music paper. business was really like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still kind of like that a little bit. But no, re- but this was at this the time, was yeah. this was aggressive. This was ag- aggressive destruction. Yeah, he was a professional grifter. So you know, he managed Al Cooper for a while mm-hmm. and a couple of other lesser artists. Um, so, but during this time, you know, what was a you know a strange dichotomy while the seeds were planted for their destruction, uh, Badfinger uh, were. Riding high uh, out at uh, George Harrison's pad, uh, playing, you know, as his backup band on All Things Must Pass, along with Derek and the Dominoes. Right. They're featured heavily on um, All Things Must Pass. They play a lot of that record has a lot of like kind of chimey acoustic guitars, like six and 12 string guitars. That's kind of the backbone of a lot of the Plus Ringo's It Don't Come Easy. You have Pete Ham and Tom Evans in the background. Uh, You have uh, Tom Evans and Joey Molland. On John Lennon's Imagine, uh, you know, it's... All four Beatles are kind of uh, hanging out with him. Yeah, yeah. And then and plus Mal Evans. And then, yeah, and most importantly, lovable lunkhead Mal <laughs> Evans. But, uh, you know, another thing was a concert for Bangladesh. You know, they were all over that as well. Right. So they aren't seeing that uh, what's going on behind the curtain they're here. They're having a good old time in 1970 or whatever. Right, and then musically, too, they're starting to peak, and that's why we are at phase two. And just like that, Power Pop's born, 1970 to 1973. So in 1970, we have No Dice, which, by the way, you know the trilogy, right? Yeah. <laughs> no Dice, straight up your ass. Except the problem. It doesn't work because there's no your. Okay, so they made an album called No Dice. <laughs> right. Then an album called Straight, Straight Up. Straight Up. Then an album called Ass. Ass. Somehow those are supposed to go together. <laughs> They're supposed to link. 
I Even, swear. Okay. All right. We, we all right. This goes. This follow this under Stingfinger, but I swear to God, I read this. Um, in any case. Even if it, even if the third okay even if ass was called your ass right. which is amazing title by the way yeah it is um, it still doesn't make any sense no dice straight up your ass I know is that a saying or something why would that be an important enough saying to stretch over three album titles it's, straight uh, up okay the last two straight up and your ass okay it's a, it's that an, I get it's an interesting decision what, is, what does no dice that. have to do with it. So No Dice is, uh, it's an interesting record. This is the first LP with Joey Molland on it. Uh, you, no Matter What is on, this song, is on this album. That was a number eight US hit. And I'm going to posit that this was the very first power pop song ever. Yeah, this is uh, on the you know uh, this and probably this and like go all the way raspberries. Are this, kind is of the, first. this is first. This is so first. So those those two to me are kind of the. So uh, then you of. have uh, a less important song to me, a much more important song to them. Without you is on this record, which has been covered by over 180 artists by last count, and it went to number one twice with Harry Nilsson right. and Mariah Carey. But I will say that in the terrible, uh, I'm not buying them as rockers category, there's some really, really bad shit on this record. Well, the problem is it starts off really rough. The it first, does. The first like three songs are kind of like uh, like boogie rocker. Kind yeah, of, I like, Can't Take It, Love Me Do. Those are not good songs. So it starts Wa- off- Watford um, John is another shitty rocker. Yeah. Um, Without You, oddly- is not a good song at all. I mean, in the verses, it's a skeletal, bass-heavy, plodding slog. Uh, the choruses, they're straining to hit the notes. Yeah, so I don't really like any version of Without You. I, I don't either. I don't even really like Nilsson's version of it. Me neither. And I love Harry Nilsson. Me too. Um, that's the best version of it. Uh, I agree. But uh, the, We're on a streak uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> the Bad Finger version, uh, it's Tom Evans singing it in the chorus, right? And it's he, not good. He cannot hit the note. He it's can't just even, not so, good. He sings it like in this choked off, you know. I can't live. Well, he hits it just real quick, like Give yeah, live. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no and good. It, it sounds very tentative, and it's, yeah, it's. Um, Here's the good stuff on this record. I don't mind as a warm little pop song that's going to go on the uh, on the playlist. Midnight Caller is a Pete Ham classic. Yeah, right. So that's one. You know, that's that's a solid ballad, and that's he kind of shows not only is he the best writer, but the best singer. He sings that one right, really nice. Gorgeous. No matter what, that is the beginning of power pop. That is a great song. Talk about a perfect little pop song. It's a classic. Yeah. We're for the dark is the under explored unexamined steaming pile of diamonds at the end of this record yeah that's my second favorite song on the record what a great song holy very classy nice arrangement and changes it seemed like they kind of wanted to maybe make that a single because it has that should uh, definitely have been a single it has a nice classy like it's anthemic uh, it's got like a here comes the sun kind of a quality to it uh also i want to mention there's an outtake from 1971 called i'll be the one which is a group co-write a classic that's going on the playlist. Yeah. So No Dice is, um, it's kind of a mixed bag. I'll it give has, it three stars. I gave it uh, three as well. Um, the good stuff is fantastic. The heights are very, the highs are very high. Yeah. But There's the rockers lot. suck. Yeah. They kind of, you know, Joey Mullins new in the band and he kind of like is on this a lot. A lot. There's a, I don't like, yeah, there's yeah. maybe like four Joey Mullins songs. Four too many. And they're kind of all in this sort of like, you know, uh, <clears throat> like, like butt rock kind of, kind of space. But even look, the first song, that butt rock song, I can't take it. That's Pete Ham. Right. Pete Ham wrote that song. He's just as guilty. In 1971, they came out with Straight Up. Which many consider, and rightly so, to be the apotheosis. At least commercially, they've hit a zenith here. It's like the Empire Strikes Back of the uh, stri- No Dice Straight Up Your Ass trilogy. That's right. It is. It is, at least numerically. Um, so Jeff Emmerich from uh, of Beatles fame and George Harrison of Beatles fame, uh, they started producing... And then Rundgren finished. They're they're in good hands with both of the producers. So you know, it's they started the sessions. You know, like a, I don't know, three or four songs are Harrison's. Uh, Day after day, name of the game, suitcase. Those are all cool songs. You know, Harrison wanted them to go for a more like sophisticated. Like he basically wanted to make wanted them to make something like Abbey Road that was a more right, mature right. and sophisticated kind yeah, of. Yeah, they in, they intervened basically because Apple was like, look, you guys can't rock. Right, you're not going in a good direction with the way that your albums are split schizophrenically, and they actually stamped that 
shit out for the most part. Yeah. So his so the Harrison produced songs have really nice arrangements. Like you know the day day after day has the great beautiful weepy slide and uh, Leon Russell great piano. Back, all the great backup vocals. You know. Um, so the, the the songs kind of start. That's kind of how the record they were making was a kind of more adorned kind of overdub. You know. Yeah. When, yeah. when Rundgren came on, they were like, we got to get this thing finished. And it, the, his songs are kind of more direct rockers. Is that money? Yeah, he produced like a suit. Uh, he produced um, suitcase yeah, money. Flying. He finished suitcase. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the kind of the bangers. I'll, t- I'll tell you my favorites: "Take It All," "Baby Blue," "Name of the Game," "Day After Day," and also "Perfection," yeah, right? Which is kind of like uh, feels like a more minor key swing on "No Matter What." Well, "Take It All" is the opener, and that's one of the Rundgren ones, and that one sounds really good. I like his production on that. It's a very direct, straight ahead production. It's kind of them just playing as a band. He has a certain kind of sonic fingerprint as a producer. I also like the flat, effectless tone on the vocal. It just, it, for whatever reason, makes it a stronger. Yeah, the rock records vibe. that, that Rungum was producing in the at this time in the early seventies had this kind of like dry, punchy, like compressed mm-hmm. kind of sound to them. And this one, this album sounds fantastic. He got good results out of them. I feel like I think they had kind of a difficult relationship working with him, as you do. <laughs> yeah, but, um, inverse ratio. But good as album you, to shitty right, relationship, as, right? As you do, he gives you a good album at the he end. He does of it. because there's not a single bad song on the record there's a uh, very good to great songs all over the record yeah. he's good i think he's good at like cracking the whip too and getting like right you know he did baby blue that was that's i think that's yeah, that's yeah. their that's so that that has become their most famous song this this album is the one they're kind of known for this i would give this four and a half stars i gave it four it's, I would it, dock it, it because there's too many Mullins, too many, there's, too there's, many Joeys on this. One. There's a couple. There's a couple songs that aren't quite as good as the others, but there's nothing that I don't like. It's a strong album. <clears throat> it I, is it, I, four, four and a half, totally reasonable. I think. And of course, right when they're at the top, phase three, everything falls apart. 1973 to 1975. So in 1973, ass. So already they're kind of... Or as it should have been called, your ass. Your ass. Already we've gone from they're at the pinnacle, they're having big hits, and then they get super cynical immediately. So first first off, let's talk about the cover, okay? Yeah. Let's talk about the cover of this goddamn album, shall we? It's kind of awesome. There's a fucking donkey and a carrot. Okay, so... This is the uh, you know I'm never gonna get the with the thing I was looking for album. Yeah, but the problem I guess is they're the donkey, they're the ass, I guess. Yeah, they're the ass. In this metaphor, they're the ass. The carrot is money, success, success. That the, there's some guy named Sam Stan Polly not taking all their money. It's kind of a giant sky carrot. Someone's dangling it off I in think the distance. It's a, I think it's a, the sky dildo of fate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think it is. <laughs> So at the so at the start of '72, Badfinger were contracted for a final album with Apple, and which was in tatters uh, at this point. Yeah, for, they were they were in, for non Badfinger really reasons. Right, Badfinger right. was probably one of their biggest money makers up to this point. Right, right. So you know, if you ask Joey Molland, uh, Stan Polly told the band that. Uh, that Alan Klein actually wanted to cut the royalty rate that Badfinger was making and make him pay for their own studio time. Yeah, so That's a fine thank you for yeah, seriously. making a hit record. So the fourth and final album for Apple, Ass, uh, sessions had begun uh, in early 72, and there'd be five recording studios that would be involved over a year. Um, so Rundgren originally was going to produce, but quit over money during week one. So the band produced itself, um, but Apple then rejected the album. Finally, Badfinger hired Chris Thomas, who's they hired uh, him kind of as a fixer to do the, to fix the yeah, stuff. Yeah, who they came in did. and pull it together. Honestly, this record kind of has a desultory air about it, but you know, there's reasons for that. So you know, while this is going on, if I may, just you know, continue unfurling the carpet a little bit. <laughs> in the meanwhile. Stan Polly uh, negotiated a deal with Warner Brothers that, um, you know, one of those Emmett Rhodes type deals where you, there's no way you could ever satisfy the demands of it. 
So it was supposed to be every six months they deliver an album over a three-year period. Right. And six albums in three years. And that started like basically right away. So this, right away. this one was so for starters with Ass, there was like a uh, there was some there was some sort of publishing fuckery why it couldn't come out. Like they Apple didn't own Joey Mullins publishing or something, and then so they ended up stuffing it full of the Joey Mullins. The only Mullen one tunes. the only one who took a Paul McCartney like stance toward him was was Tom Evans, who was suspicious from the go, but the band signed the deal anyway. Um, and Ass only got to number 122 after a, having these huge hits. And the lead single, Apple of My Eye, which is one of their best songs, it didn't even reach the top 100. Right, they're not. Apple is kind of not really functioning as a promotional entity at this point. They're kind of, and they're at the end of their deal anyway. So tell me, is there a thing where contractually behind the scenes, if you can somehow get a bunch of jackasses in a room and have them sign a bunch of papers, that you could make more money off them? not being able to satisfy a contract than you would if they could? There's a couple things going on here, it seems like, with their finances. For for starters, Apple is kind of petering out. Ass is the last album that ever came out on Apple that was not by a Beatle. Right. It was the last album by an an, an artist that wasn't one of them. Um, and um, it's kind of uncommercial because they gave them the resources to make it. It doesn't sound very good. It sounds very flat. Sounds horrible. It it's sounds, their worst sounding record. They had just gotten done working with great producers on on um, Straight Up. You know, uh, Ron Grin and George Harrison. They had kind of access to the best of everything, and then they mm-hmm. became kind of an afterthought. They didn't really know how to. It's it's a giant step down. Self produce going from a truly great producer to producing yourself, and you don't really have any experience doing Plus, it. Plus, let's talk about the songs. Five of the ten songs were written by Mullen, yeah, I think which that is has a fucking some, death sentence. That has something to do with their publishing thing, because Apple didn't own his publishing rights. So, okay. some, yeah. They're, they're, so, Pete Ham gets two tracks. The second track, Timeless, which ends the record, is the worst song he's ever written. It's really just supposed to be sort of a ripoff of um, I Want You, She's So Heavy. And um, Apple of My Eye is great. And then the other, the only other song to cherry pick on our playlist would be, I would say, "When I Say" by Tom Evans. Yeah, I, didn't, um, I, I would only really um, put "Apple of My Eye" on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's not a very good record. It's kind of it's kind of has an overall shoddy kind of quality to the to the production and arrangement. They kind of perked up uh, the quality after this. Um, this one's a kind of a this one's a dud. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. This one didn't work it out. Is. And and one one that I'd like to single out as being especially bad is Joey Mullen's Constitution. Let me just say that if I want to listen to bad to Badfinger, I'm not going to listen to them for uh, a song that um, you know chokes out some Hendrix aping riffs. It's got that one like purple haze chord in it. Yeah, yeah. One. There's it's just not a good look on these guys. Yeah. So they finished that. And now they're two and on, a half stars. I gave it two. Okay. Um, you know, two is even kind of like, I don't, you're a nice guy. I don't foresee myself listening to that much. You're a nice guy. All right. 1974 brings us the eponymous record and also known as for love or money. Right. They're on Warner brothers. Right. For the unfulfillable contract. So, so yeah, so that's the that's the other part, the other moving part of what's going on with them financially is that they signed this deal where they got to make like how many records and like they make like two, two years, two, two a year. year. So listen to this shit. Six weeks after the ass sessions um, had been wrapped, they re-entered the studio to start recording material for this record. That's fucking insane. Yeah, which is much better. Um, it's it's a much better yeah. record, and uh, they do seem kind of a little bit reinvigorated. There there are some weird things on it. There's like uh, it doesn't it's it doesn't sound very consistent like even sound wise internally like it sounds like certain songs kind of have a nice right, nice bright right. kind of like polished sounding production and then some, some songs sounds like they were uh, recorded on a porch yeah some songs porch. sound like there's a blanket over the speaker like there, yeah, there, yeah. there's wildly varying engineering <laughs> quality but I kind of do like that it feels you know like um, ass had sort of a uh, flat effectless uh, feel to the whole entire thing like it just felt tired and the this same par- this parcels out the flat effectless yeah, <laughs> songs yeah, throughout yeah. the album no I like there's a bunch of stuff I like on this um, yeah, this was pretty good yeah the singles I actually don't like Love Is Easy and I Miss You uh, are not songs I would have chosen as singles yeah, I Miss all. You is a little bit saccharine but kind of nice though the best songs are Shine On which is so good it's almost like a commercial for happiness yeah that's a good gem uh, that we would recommend uh, most people probably don't know that tune no it's a great one a sh- song for a lost friend 
that jerky stop start rhythm that's a really really good power pop song great hook yep. really really great hook lonely you um really really good uh th- this is it's around here that pete ham songs start sounding like goodbyes to himself and that's yeah this that one has is. a real that one has a real effortless kind of quality it's maybe not what like a beautiful his, song. maybe not his absolute top shelf but a very good song very close to it i think yeah. and then a really good gibbon song um the homunculi we of drums. We haven't talked about Mike Gibbons. <laughs> so My Heart Goes Out is a Gibbons track that I like very much. He writes occasionally and he kind of delivers every now he and then. He kind of does. He's not bad. He kind of does. He writes in sort of an eagerly, like a low-key, eagerly sort of capacity. If you watch him playing live, he has kind of a crazy style of playing drums. He has this hunched over kind of like... Like Mickey Rivers like, like, from the Yankees? <laughs> he is, no, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like he's like, I don't know, he's got this crouched over. I guess it's like Mickey Rivers. It is. Come on, admit it. Yeah, nobody's going to know what that is. (laughs) If you're 49, you do. All right, so uh, I would say that this album is three and a half stars. I gave it the same. Nice. Three and a half. Beautiful, dude. Um, And... This one, it's three and a half, but it's this one has a, has a wide variance to it, where there's some really good ones, and then there's some really bad ones. It's true. Um, but um, overall, I think... Uh, <coughs> I don't like matted spam. <laughs> that That's, That's like their funk, funk jam. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, listen, on their records, generally, almost all their records, except for two records... There's bad shit sprinkled in. When they, and when they break off from the formula and do some other experiment, it's, it, does, it rarely works out. Rarely, except they do, for the next record. As musicians, they're good, not incredible. They're, they're good, solid musicians, and they, when they're at their best, they're playing really well together as a band or mm-hmm. an ensemble sort of thing. Um, so when they are kind of in these other formats, like when they're playing kind of boogie rock or like, like, the, like Matted Spam is kind of like a funk porno sounding yeah it is song. it is porno it's kind of like they don't really have the musicianship to really like play in a million different genres seamlessly right. they know. do one thing great yeah and they, right. so they should have stuck with that they should have had a manager who made them do that and but then when they're at their best in that you know they can be they can play together in a way that's really transcendent the, that sounds was, really they, awesome they're as good as Big Star uh, you know, in the power pop genre, they're kings. Yeah, when they're when they're clicking on all cylinders. So, so I would like to talk about something before we go into the next record uh, that is an important thing to look at and discuss and and kick around with Badfinger, which is the idea that crisis and uh, and you know f- forks in the road and devastation can create great art. This is really a testament to the idea that insurmountable personal turmoil. Uh, can produce a diamond, right? So the 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 period at Apple ends kind of with a, it fizzles out, and there's kind of like uh, the the bad business deals are becoming apparent because at this point they've they've sold a lot of records, they've had a lot of success, and they're not seeing the checks. And they know the rot has infested, and that it's sort of like too late. So, but uh, like you, you can know, hide but- it sort of at like early days when maybe you've had like a hit song. You know, okay, the money's not really rolling in yet, but at this point, they've had several, you know, rather successful yeah. songs. They've, yeah, and so, they sold over their career fourteen million records. That, that's amazing. And so they, you know, to be the, broke all the time, something something ain't right. And then the the, the wheels really go off with this one because, uh, you know, it, it, to me, I know Joe, you don't agree with me quite on this, but hands down, this is one of the greatest albums of all time. Nineteen seventy four's "Wish You Were Here." Uh, not a widely talked about album, which is very strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I do own it on vinyl. It is, um, along with uh, the eponymous record, it is definitely one of my favorites. You don't like it as much, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I like it a lot. I, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite albums of all time, but it's, it's amazing for what it is. It's one of the best power pop albums ever made. It, it's a unique power pop record because most power pop records don't have any kind of level of intensity to it. And yeah, it's a, ambitious. There's a vibe in this record of them both going for motherfucking broke and simultaneously crying out for help in a really direct way. And so it has this live wire intensity about it that it has, yeah, it has an underdog kind of charm to it, especially yeah. if you kind of know the story. Um, I think that's kind of what we were mentioning earlier in the intro. You kind of can't separate the story of where they're at from the greatness of this album. It's weird, even like power pop dorks who like are obsessive about this stuff. This this doesn't really have even a cult following so much. This record, right? You would to me one of the more underrated records. Um, it's it, that I can to think me that it's insane. Um, you know, before, so it's a true five 
star record. I don't think there's really any way to get around it, but it doesn't yeah. have that kind of reputation at all. Not at all. So let's turn the, the magnifying glass down and go through song by song, because this one actually earns it. So the record kicks off with Pete Ham's Just a Chance, which talk about fucking majestic, towering, monstrous, arena-sized power pop. And this the is another that, one, yeah. It's just recorded so big. And they play it great. So this is the, yeah. really, they, this one is where they really play the best, I think, as a band. Where, they, where like I was saying before, when they're at their best, they really kind of, they, they, when they click, it sounds really amazing. But they're playing so well as a band yeah, together right. that finally they have figured out how to rock convincingly. Yeah. This yeah. late into their career, they have finally figured it out. And the rock songs on this album are the best songs on the record. Right. And some of the songs that are maybe a little bit more slight, they put them they put them over really well. Right. They, because they're playing so well. And I don't know, something it just worked out on this and one. And the record is textured between, you know, the, and they don't have the pr- songs. They don't have the problem of the uh, the uh, varying qualities of engineering and mixing. Right, Everything right. sounds good. And the songwriting is of a piece because those guys were all going through the same thing at the same time now. So You're So Fine is the second song. Mike Gibbons track, Eagly Pop, Slight but Really Good. That's what I, that's kind of what I was getting at. They play it so great. It, yeah. it, it, it just really works. Uh, Got to Get Out of Here, which is uh, one of Joey Mullen's best tunes, in my opinion, continues the uh, the vibe of jittery paranoia. Uh, great ballad. No One Knows. Absolutely incredible. Imp- uh, just an impossibly celestial, overblown rock and roll tune with strings, Townsend windmills. If you're a power pop aficionado and you don't know this song, you will love this song. It's a dream come true. It's one of the sorts of things that I say this from time to time on the show. That's the sort of thing you hope to kind of come across when you do. That's right. When you do this sort of focused listening, your Um, heart just starts to pound when you when you hear it for the first time. Yeah. And then my favorite song on the record, and possibly my favorite ever Pete Ham song, Dennis. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the most undersung praise-wise. Nobody even talks about this song. But um, Side B has uh, two epics that were fused together, Frankenstein-like. You have In the Meantime slash Some Other Time, a one-time Mike Gibbons, Joey Mullen co-write. Cool. That's kind of one of their... Uh, it's a disco prog experiment. Yeah, that's one of their more idiosyncratic kind of tracks, um, kind of a curveball for them. But it's yeah, it's cool. I like that one. It's cool. It's kind of weird. Pretty much everything on this is at least pretty good. Yeah, the 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 next song is the is the slightest tune. It's a Malin song, of course. Love time. Uh, See that not, one to me. I think that I like that one a lot. That's do that you seems really? like that that could have been a hit. In fact, you I kind of I you know we we re recorded this a few months ago, and I kind of went back and re listened to this album in particular, and that one kind of stood that's out to me. That's the one. That's the, yeah, that that I kind of maybe slept on the first time. That I, one I, never really stood out to me quite as much. Seems like that could have been a hit song. Um, then you heard it, A&R people across America. You heard it here first on Discography. King of the Load, a great little Evans number. Then finally, Meanwhile, Back at the Ranch slash Should I Smoke, a Ham, Mullen, Frankenstein experiment that is absolutely killer. Wouldn't you say perfect closer? Yeah, I think this is kind of the peak of their ambition as a band yep. where they're really going for it and really trying new things and swinging for the fences. It's just fireworks, 4th of July fireworks. Yeah, the hook the hook uh, really hits hard. Um they they you know they're they're kind of going for broken. They pull it off and it's a perfect end. I mean they're uh they could have ended right there and everything would have been fine. They could have, <laughs> at least but in terms no, of the no, story. they were shoved right back into the studio. So, for, okay, first of all, five stars on that one. Five stars for me too. Hard five. Right? So while all this stuff is going around, in the background, Warner Gather, Warner Brothers is getting all kinds of red flags about Stan Polly, go figure, uh, and his horrifying ability at returning a phone call. And then there was the matter of that escrow account of advanced funds. So... Um, with regard to their contract, uh, Stan Polly uh, was supposed to keep two hundred fifty grand into uh, in a in a safe deposit thing for safekeeping, and would not reveal the whereabouts, would not return phone calls. Eventually, just completely disappeared. I think he and kept it in a sack with a dollar sign. That's on it. right. That's right. With stink lines coming off him. And he, then he drank a, some some rum out of a jug with three X's on it. <laughs> So uh, here's what happened was um, Warner Brothers terminated their contract with Badfinger. But this is um, right after Wish You Here came out, right? So this is during the whole time. So rather than having the group sign new contracts, Polly just disappeared. So didn't resolve it. Nothing. 
So it, it, it was released and withdrawn from record stores in early 75, seven weeks after release, um, because of you know all these lawsuits that were going on. So then imagine that your your fucking your album, not only your album, but your best album, you know it. You're playing like your you know, like your lives depend on it. It's taken off the shelf and you are pushed right back into the studio. And in 1975, they recorded a record that remained unreleased until the year 2000 called Head First. Yeah, and at that point, it's like, you got to say, like, why even bother? Um, you know, after I get, the, you know, the record gets shipped and then gets returned. Um, you got to give him points for, uh, for uh, having, a, having a, being good sports. <laughs> it, but, but they still, I mean, here's where it gets insane for me, because you get into that mindset of, you know, how could they have been, um, in, you know, uh, interpreting all the madness that was happening to them and how could that have even allowed them to become creative in that kind of situation and yet they still pulled out a very good album yeah it's it's pretty good there's it's, there's really good stuff on it so so uh it was recorded december 74 to january 75 um not released um and a rough mix was made by phil mcdonald who's an apple recording engineer the the songs that i like uh, Lay Me Down is um, it's relatively rote ham pop, but um, pretty decent. Hey, Mr. Manager and Rock and Roll Contract, uh, uh, both Evan songs that uh, don't really beat around the bush lyrically. Those ones I can't get into. <laughs> but you, you got to admire them for what they are, right? The titles kind of say it all. The poor dudes. The, oh, that's all I'll say, the poor dudes. Yeah. Keep believing. I feel like this album's going to get some sympathy stars. <laughs> I like the album. I actually always liked it. It's kind of a, you have to, again. You have to kind of put it in the context of what they're doing. So if you kind of uh, listen to it and appreciate it in the context of like the world is kind of crashed down upon them, and it's like it's it's like this kind of like what's the point of even going in and making it? And they're still making and music still, that goes la la right, la. Right. They're still la. giving it the old uh, college try, trying yeah. to do their best. So keep believing's really good. That's what, one of the best ones. One of Pete Ham's empty pep talks to himself. That one's very sad. It that is. One, sad. It has a, a very resigned kind of uh, sadness to it. It is. Uh, it's keep believing, it but you're. It's kind of you know. He's not believing <laughs> shit. All right, so Moonshine. Um, this is a really beautiful pop song. Nice ballad, too. That one kind of has like a little quickie sort of feel to it, like they did it kind of like... I love uh, that song. But uh, and yeah, then, it's nice. And then Back Again is uh, Homunculus' best song, Mike Givens. Mm-hmm. Um, I like calling him Mike Givens. Like Robin Givens. Yeah, I like calling him that better. Um, Back Again is that guy's best song. And then what, if you buy that CD, if you buy things like that... Um, there's two really good uh, demos on a demos disc that we strongly recommend. Nothing to show, and especially Time is Mine. Uh, I give the whole package three and a half stars, my buddy Joe. I didn't like this as much. I gave this two and a half. And, um, You're I, a it, sick human being. I feel like it's kind of padded out and not really kind of filled, full of great material. There's a couple things that are pretty cool. Again, I give them, give them credit for uh, sticking with it, um, but it, it ended up being kind of a swan song. And then before we go into what happened next, there are a couple of uh, Pete Ham demo collections that are available. One is called Seven Park Avenue. The other is Golders Green. These are mostly two-track bedroom demos with some studio demos thrown in for good measure. Um, a few things that we're going to pluck uh, on, the, um, on the playlist. From Golders Green, the song Dawn is amazing. And then on Seven Park Avenue... Would You Deny and Dear Father are classics, even though they're just demos. And then I especially want to single out No More and Ringside. The reason I want to, I want to single those out uh, is because the, these two songs started pointing to a much more serious emotional shift yeah, for Peter. It's getting darker even. Right. So things are getting... Now it's not just cynical. Now it's really nihilistic and bleak. And around this time... Uh, uh, apparently, um, Ham started exhibiting pretty alarming behavioral patterns. Uh, Mike kind of some self harm going on there. Homunculi Givens uh, recalls him uh, burning cigarettes on his hands and arms, some such thing like that. But um, uh, anyway, before we continue the the demo packages, I give four stars just as a total thing. So then, what wound up happening? Unfortunately, so. Um, 
you know, their their albums taken off the shelves. The follow up is rejected. Uh, the early months of '75, well, I found Badfinger just trying to figure out how to uh, how to move forward. Um, the their March 1975 salary checks didn't even clear. Uh, the April checks didn't arrive. Um, you know, and Pete had just bought a big house in Surrey, and his girlfriend was expecting. Um, the band tried to manage without Stan Polly uh, being involved by contacting booking agents themselves and trying to get gigs um, and prospective managers throughout throughout London. But um, they, because of their ties to Polly, it effed everything up. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. Yeah, I in re- in retrospect, I wonder if they could have gotten some other legal representation that representation that could have gone after Polly or, you know, they, where they could have had a more aggressive, like uh, it seems like that there should have been a way out of that. They were clearly being defrauded. So you would think that they would have some sort of leverage. Look, we're going to turn the FBI on you or something if you can, you know, but it didn't work out that way. You know, um, they, it's, he just sort of, it's, it seems like you couldn't get away with that now, just disappearing and right, just right. running I mean, away like, with this sack of money and, clearly, and vanishing. Cl- clearly criminal activity, but, you know, on the night of uh, April 23rd, 1975, um, Pete Ham got a call um, telling him that, that his money was gone. So later that night, he met Evans. Um, he had a shitload of whiskeys. Evans drove him home. And that morning, he hanged himself in his garage. So his suicide note um, was written to his girlfriend, Anne Harriet, and their son, Blair. It directly mentioned Polly, uh, as directly as Tom, Tom Evans sang about him on Head First. Uh, the note was, Anne, I love you. Blair, I love you. I will not be allowed to love and trust everybody. This is better. Pete. P.S. Stan Polly is a soulless bastard. I will take him with me. Well, unfortunately, didn't take Stan Polly with him because Stan Polly lived to the age of 87. Right, the ripe old age. <laughs> he was eventually convicted of um, some sort of scam in 1991. It was a, it was like some scheme he had going with a, with like a airplane manufacturing company that he scammed a bunch of people out of money, and um, he ended up doing. He was sentenced to probation, and then he had to pay back the money that he scammed, but he um, never did pay back the money that he scammed away, and then he lived to 87. What a fucking prick. He died peacefully with so, a big smile on his face. And, and Pete Ham, dead at 27, uh, his daughter, Patera, was born one month after his death. Mm-hmm. So to make matters worse, so this is all happening really quick, right? In May, Warner Brothers terminated the Badfinger contract, and around the same time, Apple deleted all of Badfinger's Adam, uh, albums from his catalog. So it's like the band never fucking existed. Uh, phase four, The Death Rattle, 1979 to 1983. So for four years, I guess the remainder of the dudes are putzing around. In 1979, <clears throat> they put together sort of a bastardized version of the group and record the album Airwaves. Yeah, well, Molland, Joey Molland put to, was putting together a band, had a couple of like L.A. musician guys in it, and then Tom Evans happened to be around, so they invited him to play in it, so they're like, well, might as well call it Badfinger. Right, one of those, except yeah. not a good example of one of those. Um, this is not, this and the next record um, are just, you know, whimpers. They're not really a sort part of, of the bar- Badfinger story. Barely canon, really. Barely it canon. does have the name on it, but... 1979, you have a couple songs that I believe both were singles, Lost Inside Your Love and Love Is Gonna Come At Last. We're sort of in air supply territory, but it's they're serviceable songs. I give the album one and a half stars. One and a half stars, too. Nice. Yeah. This then, record, Airwaves, has some kind of like late 70s trappings to it. There's some soft rock, Decent like trappings, yeah. There's like... A, there's Yachty. Some, there's a bit of disco, uh, some disco strings and disco, stuff. Yeah. yeah, there's um, some of its kind of power pop still, like skinny tie kind of uh, right. power pop sort of thing. It was as was the trend at the time. There are a couple of notable appearances. Uh, Nicky Hopkins plays on oh, three yeah. songs. Very classic. His crowning achievement. And have you ever heard his solo record? No, it's so bad. Yeah, it's, it's right. uh, jamming with Edward. That's all right, Nicky. And then um, also discography favorite Andy Newmark. Which yes, makes another appearance. Drummer extraordinaire. He's uh, and he's on a track along uh, along with Nicky Hopkins, which is which is lost inside your love. 
for Which you. is a, a good song. It and brings I think some belongs uh, on the playlist. Brings so much needed class to the proceedings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then that kind of class is kind of gone from the next record. It's not. It's kind of comparable. The record itself, 1981, "Say No More," which thank God they did. Uh, "Hold On" is the only song I would really put on the playlist by Evans. But worth mentioning that he got his anti-Stan Polly screed out there. Rock and roll contract is on Say No More. I give the record one and a half stars. I gave this one one. Um, so That's fair. They're, they had moved, they were based out of Miami at this time, and it seemed like they were kind of just down there like partying and like telling people that they were Badfinger and kind of just occasionally doing some music. Uh, Tony K from Yes was in the band <laughs> at this time. That's right. Didn't see that one coming. No. Um, and uh, this one had a minor hit because Baby Hold On went to number 56. And it's a good song. I think that, I think kinda, that deserves that one, to be on the playlist. That one's kind of like a Hall and Oates kind of sound. It's kind of good, though. It belongs on there. Yeah, that one's all right. Top, but, but they, they, had a, they had a top, top 60 hit. Yeah, yeah. In 1980, that's, whatever listen, this is, 1981. 1981. Uh, that's kind of it. And that's the, the reason why is... That qualifies as the, uh, if you want to look for a happy ending in this story, that's pretty much that's that's that was it yeah i guess if you got to settle for one because um a, a couple years after that november 18th 1983 tom evans and joey molland uh got into an argument um regarding do re me and from the apple era and also specifically without you songwriting royalties and um after the argument tom evans hanged himself in his garden at his home in surrey I wonder what how that what that argument was. So you know, without you was Tom wrote it, right? Tom and, Tom and Pete Ham. Pete, right? So Joey, no no royalties from that, probably. He probably just wanted some of the large amounts of money they were getting for the song he didn't write, right? right. Yeah, which had been a hit for other people, right? Uh, right. That's all okay. That's so all at this point, you know, Badfinger is definitely done because Joey Mullen was not an original member anyway, and then you just have Mike Gibbons, Gibbons. Mm-hmm. In 2005, um, Mike Gibbons dies at 56. And it's his... Gibbons, damn it. <laughs> Respect of, the man. Of a brain aneurysm. We're and, sorry, uh, We're sorry, Mike Gibbons. Sorry, Mike. You seem like a fine dude. You do seem like a nice guy, and your eagerly pop sense has uh, served you We're well. sorry you're the comic relief for Spilling this. Spilling one this. out on this studio floor. <laughs> uh, in 2009, 1,000-year-old uh, Stan Polly dies as does Joy Mullen's 62-year-old wife. He's still in there in 2009. He's hanging around. Obama's president. Like but he's still around. Joey Mullen still walks the earth, one of the only living reminders that all this horrifying karmic shit went down with the band. Um, these guys were absolutely seminal power pop, uh, some of the best out there. And the first, I mean, this band was no Kletu. They were the real thing. They weren't imitating the Beatles. They had some of that Beatles magic. Um, but they had their own thing, and generally, except for those endless attempts at rocking out, they were endlessly melodic. Why you got to take shots at Klaatu, man? Why you got to bring? Why you got to why you gotta bring Klaatu into this? Who are we, we going to get to do Klaatu with us? I don't know. It may, is Sir Bodsworth Ruggles be a real person? <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so. Top, uh, let's top, talk about top threes. Well, let's talk about let's talk about their arc first. This okay. is a strange arc. So we basically go from um, uh, from black and white to Technicolor and talkies. So we go from a like a narrow vision of pop into this Technicolor widescreen power pop that just gets bigger and bigger. But then these guys were choked out and left to die, and so their arc is a rudely interrupted one. Uh, top three albums. Number three is self-titled Badfinger. Number two is Straight Up. Number one is Wish You Were Here. Worst album is Ass. <laughs> uh, well, we've done it again. We have exactly the same list, except God I have. I, I'm kind of torn on what to say is the worst album. Because okay, well, all right. It's ass. <laughs> ass all right <laughs> number three i have the same number three the self-titled bad finger album although i will say that no dice was right on its heels um number two straight up number one wish you were here and then i don't know do you include the last couple like the the post ham albums because uh, those are pro- well uh i wouldn't actually right. i kind of wouldn't 
All right. Or well, else I would say one of those. Let's say let, we'll. I'll go with the same list. Ass. So we have the, the exact. If it's if we're if we're la- doing the, everything, then the last one no more. The, yeah, say, say no, no more, more is the worst. If, if we're counting everything. Sorry, Tony K. Um, it wasn't your fault. Yeah, it really wasn't. You did pretty good on it. Um, so <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us. This is a sad tale, but hopefully you were um, uh, emotionally uplifted by our entertaining and thorough researched spirits. And do check out uh, the bat- this playlist because I-, I bet you, if you like this kind of music at all, if you're at all any it's, kind of it's unbelievable. power pop fan, there are probably some of these that um, you haven't heard. And Head to toe, beginning to end, this is going to be one thrilling listen. Follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, definitely please subscribe and join our Facebook live group uh, for some uh, you know inspiring debates. Uh, yes, the uh, the disco- the Facebook rock fights. Right, the dis- the Facebook uh, discography the discussion group um, is live. You'll be able to. Uh, we will interact with you there. You can you can tell us how angry you are at us or how much you love us. Look or- out for tons of unbelievably exciting upcoming guests, and also in addition, some Patreon sidelines, brand new shows. Discography presents our Patreon content. That's right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thank you.